0: Welcome to this Colorado Legal Education audiocast. Thank you for listening.
1: Well, hello. Uh, I'm Mark Masters, and uh, with me today is Molly's Wordlinger. Uh, I'm an estate planning uh, attorney here in Denver, Colorado.
0: And I'm an estate planning attorney in Colorado with Miller and Steart. And our topic for today is going to be a very broad view of a will versus trust conversation. A
1: perennial, a perennial conversation.
0: Yes. So, Mark, I don't know about you, but... Anybody practicing in estate planning at some point, if they've not experienced this already, have had a client come, has had a client come to them and say, "I just want a will," or they'll call on the phone and say, "I heard about this thing called a trust. I want a trust." I know how I respond to them, Mark. What do you What do you say to clients who say that to you?
1: I wouldn't say it happens once. I would say it happens at least once a week. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, they uh, folks uh, either call or the practically the first words out of their mouth when they're in your office is. We just want a simple will or it, it could be yeah mr. lawyer, give me one of them trusts I you know uh, uh, I, I heard about them trusts and I want me one. Um, words to that effect, um, and uh, so I sometimes it will ask them why. Well, well, why do you think that? Because I want to get to their thinking. You know, uh, sometimes they they will say, well, uh, um, you know, I was I was watching TV. It, you know, it was it was an ad on late night TV, or or uh, uh, it might have been uh, Susie Orman. You know, who uh, you know says all the world needs a revocable living trust, which might be true for California where she lives. Um, but I, I you know I will oftentimes respond is well. Well, why do you say that? Um, because very often they are not well-informed.
0: That's exactly right. So I would agree with you on that. They don't understand necessarily difference between a will or trust. They want to say, hey, I make things as simple as possible, just give me the simplest plan. Well, that may not be appropriate for them. So Mark, let's talk about then the differences between a will and trust. So if we have an attorney who wants to engage a client in that conversation, what are some of the major differences? The first and foremost I think of would be that a will is effective only at death and a trust can exist with you. That's why they call it a living trust. That's some right. other differences and things that you tell clients.
1: Um, well, uh, there's, there's the whole funding thing. Uh, um, you know, a school of thought in this area says that to be, and this is a school of thought that I tend to subscribe to, that if you're going to get the utility out of this uh, complicated document, uh, and you know a trust is, is, uh, is a bit more complicated, um, then you really should also spend the time and money to fund it. In other words, get your significant assets in there, get your real estate in there, uh, beneficiary designations the uh, subject of another podcast uh, uh, in this series, uh, but you get those beneficiary designations uh, uh, taken care of, and, you know, get all those significant assets in there. No, you don't necessarily need to do every knife, fork, and spoon in the house, but, you know, get your significant assets in there if you're going to get the utility out of this, you know, out of this uh, uh, mechanism that you've paid big bucks for, and that's another another consideration is to do trust funding, I'm sorry, is, is to do a trust-based package it's going to be more expensive. You know, in my case, uh, you know, there's more documents to prepare. Uh, there's more teaching that I'm going to have to do the client uh, uh, about what is, what is this and how does it work and why is, is funding important, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so those and other reasons are why this is probably going to cost more.
0: That's exactly right. Uh, it definitely costs more because there's more to it. There's more drafting, there's more aspects involved, like funding, which means putting things into the trust. As a practicing point, just a unique comparison that I've been using recently with clients is comparing a trust to the iCloud. I think clients have a very difficult time understanding the concept of a trust. It's a separate entity that exists out there. It's created by signing a document, but it's not something you can see, just like the iCloud. You can't see it, but you can put things into it. You can save things to it. So I just think that's an interesting practicing point for new lawyers out there. If you have millennial clients and more and more millennial clients are coming in, compare a trust to something like the iCloud. It's a very easy comparison.
1: And you heard it here first, folks. Uh, no, that's, that's a great idea. That, that really hadn't occurred to me. Now, <clears throat> these things are also, though, rather simple or rather similar, aren't they?
0: They are very similar. So you may have heard before that a trust is a substitute for the will. They do similar things in the sense that when I die, this is who I want to be in charge, and this is where the assets go. The will or the trust can do both of those things. So really the major difference then, if they're doing the same things, the major difference is you can put things in a trust, you cannot put things in a will. It's not an entity. Again, it doesn't exist until you die. So you're right, Mark, they are very, very similar. So-
1: In, in fact, let me, let me jump in there. Sure. Uh, one of the things, uh, particularly when I have a client or a potential client who comes in and they are telling me that they want one or the other, um, is I try to steer the conversation away because I don't want to get involved in, in titles. Uh, because to me, it's pointless. Uh, you know, and, and so I will typically, uh, until I get a lot more information, I'm going to talk about a disposing document, because that's really what they both are. They are both disposing documents. And then... You know, later, once I have gathered a fair amount of information, after we have talked for a half hour or an hour even, um, and I got a better idea of their personal situation, their asset situation, uh, and so forth, and I I think we're going to talk about that uh, uh, in a few minutes here, um, you know, those factors that are appropriate, then I will make the recommendation uh, because it's it's kind of like, okay, you need heart surgery. Well, who of us is going to go tell the surgeon, well, doctor, I think you should make the incision here, and then you should do it laterally, and, and so forth and so on? And the answer is we're not... Competent to make those decisions about what's the right tool for the job. Similarly, that's, that's my job. I'm the attorney in this picture. You know, let me find out what you want to accomplish, and then let me you know suggest to you what is the best tool for that job. Uh, you know, what is the best way to get us from point A to point B, or get you rather, Mr. or Ms. Client from point A to point B? Um, because really, you don't have enough information. to to competently make that decision. That's, That's why I'm the lawyer here.
0: I have a very similar process to Mark. I always get all the information from the client of when you die, just very broadly speaking, where are the assets going? And then we get down the line, we figure out if this person dies, it goes here. If that person dies, it goes there. And that's not going to change whether we put that information in a will or a trust. And I also will typically give my clients both options and I'll tell them in this option, these are the pros and cons. If we go with a will-based plan, if we go with a trust-based plan, these are the benefits or costs of doing it. And I sometimes will just leave it up to them if I think either way can accomplish what they need, but they have to understand the differences between both of them. So when you're looking at it from a professional perspective, perspective, okay. what factors are we going to be looking at in deciding the ultimate question in estate planning, sure. will or trust?
1: Well, <clears throat> I want to know for, for starters, you know, the size of their estate.
0: Does and, that matter? Does that make a difference? You bet.
1: You bet it does. Um, because, you know, these days with the higher estate tax thresholds, you know, you can you can be a multimillionaire and still not have a taxable estate. You know, and and so uh, you know, if they have several million dollars, even if they may not have a taxable estate, that's going to be one of the things in my mind that's going to tip me more toward recommending a revocable trust for them
0: for tax planning purposes. Not, no,
1: not no for for ease of administration. I see because the third parties that somebody's going to have to deal with someday. Uh, securities, stockbrokers, banks, you know, because again, we're not talking about somebody who's impecunious here, you know, Um, you know, and, and so they're going to, but those third parties feel much more comfortable dealing with somebody who's wearing the hat that says trustee than they are somebody who's wearing the hat that says agent under financial power of attorney. Another thing I look at is, is real estate, Uh, particularly where is it? Because if, it, if it's in another, uh, if it's in another state. Uh, very often that other state is not going to have probate laws that are as enlightened as they are here in Colorado. And listeners need to remember that we're talking about Colorado law here uh, uh, with our simplified procedures and, and lack of an estate, you know, a state estate or a state inheritance tax. But anyway, you know, those other states may not be as enlightened as we are here in Colorado. And so, yeah, that's probably going to be another factor that's going to tip the scale over. Over toward uh, revocable living trust.
0: And Mark, Um, just to interrupt you for a second for our listeners here, the reason why out of state real estate is so important in this will versus trust conversation is also triggering probate. So, real estate. Exactly,
1: exactly. That's that's what I'm getting at. when I I talk about as not being as enlightened as we are here. (laughs) Yeah, because if we're talking about probate in California or New York, or a lot of the places in the Midwest and South, uh, then yeah, we can have, you know, I mean, it, it, it could be all those bad things for which probate uh, 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 has the name, has the reputation it does, and yeah, we wanna to try to minimize, though I, notice I did not say eliminate those death time entanglements, but, but try to do what we can to, to minimize them. Another thing, um, uh, are they contemplating their own disability? You know, do they know that they have a debilitating degenerative disease, Alzheimer's, Lou Gehrig's disease, something like that? To me, that's a factor. Um, and uh, uh, another factor is, um, you know, is for those those people for whom this is not appropriate. Uh, so, what's their personality? you know, are we dealing with somebody who's very good with details and is going to not only when they leave my office, but independently three years from now, eight years from now, going to make very sure that when they buy or sell real estate, uh, that it's also going to get funded in there and they won't have to get reminders from me and and so forth and so on. Uh, other, Other major assets, they'll be able to take care of this on their own. Or are they the artistes, you know, for whom this is just not in their, you know, they're, they're, they're great people, they're very smart, they may be very accomplished in their area, but details and taking care of details just ain't how their brain works.
0: And Mark, you can see that client coming from a mile away because they walk in with the shoebox, they dump it out on the table, and everything is a mess. And yeah. when you look at that, maybe a trust isn't always the best option.
1: Right, right, because they're not going to keep this thing funded. And, and uh, you know, and so when they die, um, we're, we're going to be back We're going to be back in the probate uh, uh, realm because they're going to have a significant amount of assets uh, that we're going to have to use the pour-over will for uh, to get into that trust, so that in fact we can carry out their 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 wishes.
0: So I'm going to put you on the spot here for a minute, Mark, with the pour-over will. So we mentioned earlier in the podcast about this idea of a trust being a substitute for the will. Mm -hmm. If a client has a trust. They Are we still doing a will?
1: They still need a will. Absolutely, they still need a will. It's now what I tell what I tell folks is it's a specialized document. You know, it's basically a one trick pony uh, that that says anything that ain't in my trust at the time of my death, put it there. You know, it pour over. You know, that's we have lots of water analogies in estate planning. We have sprinkle trusts and spray trusts, and we have a here pour over will, you know, and it's to pour over into that trust because that's where we have those disposing instructions. That's where we have the fiduciaries nominated. Um, And if we have a taxable estate, that's where the tax planning is, is is gonna be in that in that will. Uh, or I'm sorry, in, in that trust, and so that's why they need a will. So yes, even if they have a trust as a centerpiece of their estate plan, and this does come as a surprise to uh, clients sometimes, they still need a will.
0: It's a safety net for them in case they it's forget the ca- to fund it.
1: Exactly. It's the catch-all. It's the catch-all. And I've used it more than once because, sure enough, people die, and they don't have all their significant assets in that trust when they die, and we have to activate the will, and, you know, it's just that's, that's the way it works. So, Molly, let me ask you. Who might a trust not be suitable for, not be the best idea for?
0: That's a fantastic question because there's a lot of attorneys and folks out there who are pushing trust for the majority of people, and it may not be right for everybody. So you mentioned the client who is disorganized. Maybe they're not going to follow the rules when they leave the office. They're not going to go change the beneficiary designation. So that's the first client is the client who's not going to keep up with the maintenance of the trust. Mm -hmm. Another kind of client who a trust may not be appropriate for is somebody who's got troublesome beneficiaries, troublesome kids. If we're worried about a kid throwing a stink maybe it's not a bad idea to have a little bit of oversight from a court, a little bit of oversight from a judge. I just had a client come in last week. She's got six children. We discussed this idea of the will versus the trust conversation, and she liked the idea of probate when I explained it to her. She said somebody needs to monitor what's going on with my kids, and I don't think a trustee may be the best option. I think a court who can rule and issue an order and say this is how it's going to be may be the best option to preserve the family relationship.
1: Okay. Um, what about the, the really, really tiny estate? You got the little old lady, you know, uh, we were talking about this before we, uh, we started to record this today, the little old lady who has three or $400,000 of which half or more is, is her house. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. You know, she may have some adult children and they're all seem to be reasonably responsible. What do you think?
0: So in that case, and I will tell you, and I say this sarcastically, you're telling me that I'm not supposed to charge somebody 5000 bucks to do a plan that only has $10,000 in the account? Why not? Obviously, it doesn't make sense to be charging a client for a trust to begin with when there may not be a lot of assets there to pay for it. So that's issue number one with that kind of client. Issue number two is part of a trust is to create ease of administration. If we're dealing with a house and a small bank account, there's not much to administer. The cost to have a separate entity that eventually when somebody dies may have to file a tax return, there's a few other things on the back end, may not be worth it for that client or that client's family. We can deal with it in a much easier way than a trust. You had talked about trust being appropriate for clients with a lot of assets or maybe difficult kinds of assets in multiple states. For someone with just maybe a house here in Colorado and a bank account with 100000 bucks in it, we can take care of that easily with beneficiary designation and some other options?
1: Um, Yeah, Uh, it it can be expensive overkill. Um, And one of the things that that I try to tell uh, uh, clients and, and potential clients is, you know, trusts don't magically administer themselves. You know, because they, 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 oh, well, I have a trust. It's going to be real easy. Well, yeah, but somebody, you know, and that somebody, if they're careful, is basically going to go through the very same steps that a personal representative would under, under probate. Um, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to create an inventory. They're going to have, they're going to maintain, uh, extensive records as to what they did, assets in, money in, assets out, money out, to protect themselves. They're going to make sure that, that certain reporting documents get prepared, such as tax, make sure that, you know, tax returns and so forth. Um, and, um, um, you know, so, so trusts don't magically administer themselves, and they're going to go through basically the same steps that a, you know, that a personal representative would in, quote, probate. Um, so, you know, so now, you know, uh, Mr. or Ms. Client, what are you really gaining?
0: So, you know, Mark, what I get from this conversation between you and I is that when it comes to a will versus trust, there may not be a right answer. There isn't. We don't know what's appropriate for the client without talking to them. And it's all about finding out who is the client, what assets do they have, and having a discussion with them about what makes the most sense.
1: That's right. As, as, as we lawyers say over and over again, well, it depends. You know, well, it depends on the situation. And this is one of those where, you know, one size does not fit all.
0: I appreciate that response, Mark. We also appreciate you being uh, listeners for our podcast today. I'm Molly Wordlinger, an estate planning and probate attorney in Denver with Miller and & Steyer.
1: And I'm Mark Masters, uh, also a trust and estate attorney here in Denver. Um, this, again, this podcast uh, is under Colorado law if you're listening uh, uh, somewhere else. But we do thank you for tuning in and uh, hope to uh, have you back soon.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information on this topic and many others, visit cle.cobar.org. CLE.